Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. And welcome back to the podcast. Today I have an outstanding guest. His name is Thomas Dixon. He's the inventor of memory. He's enjoyed working in psychology and education, both inside and outside of the classroom. As an instructor and researcher, he's also invented a digital memory mobile app called Memory. You could find it at yourdigitalmemory.com. With over a decade of research and instruction experiences across a variety of settings, both nationally and internationally, Thomas has a personal story he wants to share about memory, why it matters, and ultimately how to be patient-focused. Thomas uh, is is a, a gentleman that I met at a, at a conference. We were both speakers uh, in Pennsylvania, and uh, he actually commented to me that every New Year's, he spends it in a new country. He's a dynamic and very intelligent uh, uh, individual, and it's a pleasure to welcome him to the podcast. So, Thomas, welcome. You forgot very flattered uh, with an introduction <laughs> like that. Thank you. Thank you, Saul. Hey. How are you doing? Uh, doing really great, man. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we're having this opportunity to reconnect. Okay. Uh, likewise, it was a pleasure to have met you at that conference. So, can you give us an example of how you and your organization have created results by, say, improving outcomes, by doing things differently? Yeah, that's a pretty easy one. Uh, myself and others using Memory have such a smooth time whenever we're visiting a medical provider because without having to review any of my notes or prepare any documents uh, right before seeing my neurologist, I search Memory for seizure. And then I instantly can share with my neurologist any sense of when I last had that seizure, uh, when I last felt as if I was going to have one. And we've seen this for myself, as I shared, but also for others, and that they're using memory as an injury log of sorts. People are answering all types of questions that they would get uh, spontaneously for such a purpose. So if a doctor would ask you, when did you last feel tension along your shoulders, you could search for shoulders or tension and share those results, which are likely to be far more accurate than your own recall would be. Uh, people see what else they've noted had been happening at that time. So they're able to share with, hmm, looks like the tension may be related to this type of physical activity, mm -hmm. you know, and giving them a more accurate record also of when it happened, so what time of the day, where it happened. And again, given that it was noted at the moment, it's as accurate if they saw it a week from now or any other amount of time uh, afterwards. And this is really important, I feel, because people bias, we have a present bias where we think that our present day is more similar to our earlier days than it actually is. And that's why I like how memory can eliminate a bit of that present bias. And you could just be surprised by how you noted your life was a month ago, two months ago. A different example of that is when someone is in pain and that they may be in more pain than they were the month before. With the present circumstance, that bias, they may feel that greater amount of pain was also the case one month ago. But if they searched memory for pain, they would actually see that the number of mentions have increased drastically more recently rather than you know what had been the case before. So that's from a healthcare space, but on a more lighthearted approach, 
I search memory to see the gifts that I've given to somebody um, on previous birthdays cool. <laughs> or different things that we've talked about. So that way I know I'm not, you know, rehashing the conversation we've already had. But instead, I'm able to follow up on the conversation and said, oh, yeah, right. I know we talked about this last time. What's happened since then? Mm. Yeah, I think, I think that's awesome. And, you know, one of the things that is really neat, and you you alluded to this at the beginning, Thomas, is is that you potentially have an advantage because of the computer in your pocket. We all have this computer in our pocket, but our memories are all flawed. And uh, the things that you can recall because you're taking note of, potentially we could lose track of completely. And so I think it's neat that you have an ability to do that and search. There's moments where maybe we feel, and the listeners, you know, including myself, will feel like, hey, you know, I'm having a down day. Why not pull out your memory and search when you are super happy and remind yourself of those times? And I think this is an advantage that you have, Thomas, that, that we don't. Well, uh, thank you for that. Yeah, I'm seeing how I have that, uh, memory users having that overall, that they can search for something that they know they've enjoyed that makes them happy. And maybe they wonder the last time they were at that music venue. So they search for the name of that venue and in a way relive that experience, which is something that we see a number of uses of uh, technology for that purpose. How many of us have gone back to look at text messages, to look at emails and such in order to refeel some of what had happened then? Yeah, that's a great application. So can, can you share with the, with the listeners a time when you made a mistake or failed, a setback that you had and what you learned from it? Yeah, I separate my life a bit. I've done this less and less now because it's been a long enough time that the distinction feels increasingly meaningless. But I talked about my old life as before my injury and my new life. You know, so my old life plan, I was going to become a psychiatrist for youth. And it wasn't a mistake for me to attempt the pre medical coursework again after my injury. You know, I had to find out what I could or could not do. And we want to discover, you know, if I could handle the physics and the organic chemistry coursework that I had been taking at the time. So I did all right in uh, the coursework, but of course, all right is not what you need to do to get into medical school. Right. The sheer amount of memorization and all the variables I had to keep track of in a pre-medical coursework environment, my pre-injury self, I handled it very well, but it was impossible after my injury. And even if I did, say, manage to enter medical school, how much I would be required to recall the memories, not just, you know, the factual information, but what has been happening recently, that would only increase over time. So I had to end that, that path and that goal of mine in face of my new life, my reality. And also, even if I did get through medical school somehow, ethically, I wouldn't want to be seen by me you know, if I were a medical doctor. So from an ethical standpoint, I felt it wouldn't be appropriate either. And then I'm sure that was a tough, uh, tough thing to grapple with, but also uh, you've accepted it and you've done so many awesome things. What did you learn from that failure? Sure, sure. I learned and I've accepted with a distinction that I made with old life and new life that there really is not such a thing as recovery in brain injury. 
Now, that's not to say there will be no return in functioning because there is a bit of a period where you do recover some and you, so like my memory is better now than it had been right after my accident. But that is, it's just true that I'll never, ever be the same as I had been before my injury. And I even feel that discussing recovery in brain injury can be uh, invisible disability discrimination to some extent in the sense that if I lost my leg in an accident, how many people would talk to me about recovery? They would instead talk to me about adapting, adjusting, using prosthetic advices, what my scope of mobility would be. And one of the things that's a relief is that when you accept you're different, it's, it can be pretty liberating, you know? Like you give yourself permission to let that old self go and you can instead answer, who are you today? Who will you be now? What are the opportunities that you're going to explore and be open to uh, once you're able to leave yesterday behind you? That's awesome, man. What a great lesson that you've taught us and walk through your personal experience to just kind of highlight the fact that accepting who you are, the things that you could do becomes the new launch pad for, for the things that you could contribute to others. And, and you've really done that um, during the, the uh, Digital Medical Summit that we were together. I mean, I, I, after your talk, I was definitely inspired. And, and that's what caused me to say, man, I want to I share this guy's story with the listeners. And I'm so glad you're here now. Uh, you've done so many awesome things since then uh, and before then, but but you know since then you've done so many great things. What would you say one of your proudest medical leadership experiences has been to date? Well, it was quite a um, shock and surprise to be able to watch live when uh, Tomas Ryan had mentioned me in his TED Med talk uh, titled "Are Your Brain's Memories Ever Actually Lost." And that I was watching it live by an online stream at that moment. And I share that as I think medical leadership can mean uh, creating examples for how people can choose to behave within a medical context. And as a result of what he had shared about me, I believe it led, likely led into others considering their own flexibility in approaching how to handle uh, episodic memory loss. So I felt proud in that I had created the narrative which others could feel was empowering and that would have advance their own approaches. Even if they didn't take exactly my own, they would want to move forward in how they think about their own. I love that. Tell us about an exciting project or focus that you're working on today. Sure. Well, I am definitely uh, waiting with uh, bated breath (laughs) for releasing my memoir, which I've tentatively titled, I'm Sorry, That's Awesome. And (laughs) the, the reason I've titled it that is you tell people that you cannot remember your life, you know, the events of your life, and they pretty much always say, I'm sorry. And then you tell them that you're living with a digital memory. And in the span of a few seconds, they'll say, that's awesome. <laughs> and I've heard, the t- I've heard it so many I times. It. I said, that is the perfect title for <laughs> my memoir. Now, I'm sorry, that's awesome. I would buy yeah. that book now. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. So yeah, I think that's a catching title. I think people are going to be very curious why those words would go together. But that's been my life experience. So as of now, I've written my book, I've extended it, and I've fully edited it twice. I actually wrote this book by reading my memory uh, from the beginning to the present day while I was writing it. So I had the experience of reliving my 
uh, post-injury life hmm. through reading my book. And that was pretty surprising to recognize my life again as it got closer to the present day. Because, you know, of course, it felt distant when I was writing, you know, from years and years ago. And then it was one year ago. And I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. So there are also other developments, I would say, that are related to my story, which will be very shocking if they're going to proceed. But for right now, I think speaking on them would be premature. So, yeah. So other than that, the newest version of Memory sustains our team's attention. And we look forward to releasing it very soon. So with Memory... Uh, where can folks go to check it out, download it? Like, how can they how can they experience memory? Okay, well, our website is uh, www.yourdigitalmemory.com. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's available currently on iPhone. Uh, we do have the older version, and currently, rather than you know retooling the older version, we've been preparing the newer version. Got so it. we're expecting that to be released later this year, hopefully uh, soon. And we're looking for the release of the update of the iPhone version and also the uh, Android version. Outstanding. So they could check you out at that website. And folks, what I'll do is um, is I will put together links to Tommy's uh, app as well as his website and all of the transcript for our discussion today. You'll find that at outcomesrocket.health slash memory. So Tom, getting close to the end here of the podcast, uh, this has been really, really fun. What I want to do is build a medical leadership course. It's a syllabus of what it takes to be successful in the business of healthcare, the 101 of Thomas Dixon. We're going to write a syllabus. I've got four questions for you, lightning round style, followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. This, uh, outside of, I'm sorry, that's awesome when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me release it first and then I can recommend it. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay, okay. Pre-order it. How about that? Before yeah. it's even published. So pre-order. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. You, gave me, you yeah. gave me the link. I will go to it and pre-order. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. So what's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Well, it's kind of fitting in that I had shared earlier about that new life, old life distinction. So I think one of the best ways to improve healthcare outcomes is for people to admit the present day. So when I say that, I also mean the prevalence of technology that exists now. We see pros and cons you know, related to how healthcare outcomes are influenced by so much information online and also the number of workarounds patients could be embracing if healthcare institutions would own up to the modern day. So I found it's interesting in that I will tell so many people about the cognitive dissonance I'm finding folks are uh, exhibiting when I would they would tell me to write down my memory notes in, say, notebooks, like physical notebooks, and then they would take out their phones to keep track of something else. So that was <laughs> kind of surprising that they would tell me to write it down and then would make a calendar note. So there's that bit that I want to see more and more people bridge that gap in terms of how we're using mobile phones in a healthcare space. I want to just see more people accommodate that because nowadays we should admit, I mean, I think we do admit that what we intended to be a phone is now a digital assistant. And instead, the healthcare ramifications of that related to how it could be developed further for, say, in research and development, I believe that direction will continue to improve healthcare outcomes in a variety of unexpected ways. 
What's a big mistake or pitfall to avoid? Well, the if you build it, they will come. I believe that could be hampered when there are little to no efforts to educate or inform people of how to make use of newer tools. I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm still a young adult, but I'm now closer to 40 than I am to 20, so I don't know if I still am. (laughs) But I've been considered a digital native in that I had my first cell phone back when it would take minutes to receive a text message, (laughs) you know? There are so many people... Yeah, I know, right? The phones have, not just me. (laughs) The phones, definitely. There are so many people who are at my current age when those mobile phones were first emerging. So if I'm not a digital native, let's go ahead and call me a digital immigrant, okay? So even with the newer features that we have in our devices, are digital immigrants comfortable uh, using them? And that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to keep memory as straightforward as possible while allowing for complexity when a user searches for that complexity. I just want it to be as simple as any search engine. If you want to find it, you type it in, you hit enter. And then if people want to get deeper, they can click within menus. That way they don't have to face complexity if they don't want to. I'm going to say consider how important using these uh, devices well can be when you're interacting with others and with the opportunities we have access to. If we're messaging well, finding meaningful results, that makes the difference nowadays between, say, getting the promotion or maintaining the friendship. And this is something I think we're far behind on, but why aren't we teaching students yet uh, within schools on the use of this modern technology? It's a great point. It's a very great point. Mm -hmm. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? It's important that we admit that we could be surprised by what the users actually want from us, and then we have to be working to meet their needs and requests. So we could be top-down, you know, in how we believe people will use memory, but we can let our progress be bottom-up, and users can show us how they wish to utilize it instead. Now, of course, we're going to present an image of what memory allows people to do, but why don't we see the streams and the paths that the users carve out themselves and then modify the approach given what they want from our app? To give you a sense of that, uh, patients or sorry, people are using memory to record their children's lives. It's something we've noticed. And also to record the lives of the elderly. So even though I've called it memory, we're seeing that people are using it for other people. And that can be a bit of a surprise too. So maybe that's a direction we want to uh, explore further. Awesome. What's an area of focus that drives everything in your company? Sure. I will answer that as my view that memory loss is universal, okay? And there's nobody I've met who wants to have a worse memory instead of a better one. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at memory as a service that everybody could use. And we, you know, we separate that into our need-based users and our want-based users is one way we talk about it. Mm-hmm. And people will say to me, you know, memory is an app for people with memory loss. And without missing a beat, I say, yeah, you. Because I think of that as the nature of uh, memory loss as a universal, you know, as a human trait. So I'm thinking as our company grows, we're going to be growing alongside this evolving relationship with how we're using our devices as a storehouse of information that we uh, recall whenever we seek to recall it. Outstanding. That's a really great point. And uh, yeah, you know, we're all having to lose memory is a part of all of our lives. So Keeping this in perspective is really great, Tom, and I appreciate you highlighting these very interesting facts and 
and uh, and your passion for it and the and the projects that you you're working on. What what book would you recommend to the listeners? Well, I've definitely been a fan of the Sherlock Holmes stories. I found myself pretty impressed by David McCullough's 1776 hmm. and how many times we came close to losing the war for our independence mm-hmm. for any of a variety of reasons. You know, the troops had signed up, you know, uh, conscription, they'd signed up for a certain amount of time. And when that time was up, they went back home. We also have a stronger national identity now than a state-based identity. You know, I think of myself as an American first rather than a Pennsylvanian. And back then, state identity mattered so much more. And there were the politics of having the group, the troops from the various states getting along with each other. And even that, outside of the troops themselves, there were a number of times we made very risky uh, and daring escapes in the middle of the night when the British were approaching. So I felt that this was a very entertaining read uh, for a time centuries back, told by a famous historian. What's not to love about that? I love that. What a great book to recommend and a little piece of history there. Folks, again, you could get all of the things that we discussed, links to the application, our full transcript with uh, with Thomas Dixon. Go to outcomesrocket.health slash memory. You'll find it there. Thomas, this has been a blast. Uh, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get in touch with you. Okay. Well, once I had been asked uh, what I would tell myself if I was able to go back in time, but if, you know, unable to change what has happened to me. And I said to the person, I would say, you will be surprised, but you will be okay. And I think that's likely true for all of your listeners. Surprises are certainly in store for them, but they will most likely be all right. Love that. Great closing thought. And, and what would you say the best place for the listeners to get in touch with you is if they wanted to reach out? Yeah, sure. Feel free to send me an email, uh, thomas, uh, T-H-O-M-A-S, at yourdigitalmemory.com. And we also have the Facebook pages uh, for Memory and for myself. So if people wish to reach out to me there, uh, feel free to. Outstanding. So I'll get those links from you, Thomas, so that I can include them in the show notes. Again, folks, you could reach Thomas through those links. All of them are available, including his email address at outcomesrocket.health slash memory. Thomas, this has been a blast. I really appreciate you making the time to be on the podcast, share your story. It's always inspiring to hear from you, my friend. Keep up the awesome work. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 